You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. Our goal is to not only share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon in conversation about what we're learning and what God is doing in our lives and in our community. This sermon comes from our 2022 Advent series, What Are We Waiting For? You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. There's nothing quite like the excitement of Christmas morning, right? Especially when there are young kids in the house and, and we're realizing that those days are, are fewer and fewer at our house now that our youngest is eight years old. See you, bud. Um, but you know, you know all the stuff, right? The presents under the tree, the stockings, the special treats. And in my family growing up, that meant my mom's cinnamon buns on Christmas morning. That was breakfast. Um, but the reality, we, we got to experience Christmas morning just this past Friday. You see, ever since Meg and I got married, we've spent Thanksgiving with her parents and her sister's family, and her parents are here. We're glad to have you guys with us this morning. Um, Sister's family already went back to North Carolina. But so we've spent Thanksgiving with Meg's side of the family, but that means we're not usually together at the Christmas season. So what's developed has been that we do Thanksgiving on Thursday with the turkey and the pie and all the fixings and the football. And after the littlest kids have gone to bed, the Christmas tree comes up from the basement, at, at least the little one. And the presents from grandma and grandpa come out of the suitcases and the Amazon boxes that have been delivered for the last few weeks so that when we wake up on Friday morning, it's Christmas. Take one. Anyway, that's what happened in our house on Friday. And if you think the, the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas is a blur, you haven't seen anything. But it's been an interesting reality for Christmas to take place on both sides of Advent. A big part of that is because I love the season of Advent with all the themes of waiting and longing and reflection and preparation. I I think it adds such a deepness and richness to our celebration of Christmas in which our focus is on, or at least should be on, the reality that God the Son put on our flesh, put on our humanity, was born as a baby from a woman just like us, so he could become one of us. This is what we call the incarnation, right? That's your theological word for the week, incarnation. It's a word that comes from the Latin, and it means to enflesh something, because that's what Christ did, right? He was enfleshed in our humanity. But in order to understand and to remember well the implications of that and what it means for us, and not just for us, but for the whole of creation, we have to remember that the story doesn't begin in chapter one of Matthew's gospel. And it didn't start when an angel of the Lord appeared to a young lady named Mary. If we want to understand the story of Jesus, the story of God becoming one of us, we have to go back further. 
much further than the scandals of incarnation and teenage pregnancies. We have to start where all the good stories start, right? At the very beginning. So for our Advent sermons this year, we're going to work through some of the key ideas in the Old Testament that led to Jesus' coming to try to answer the question, what are we waiting for? Because if Advent is a season of waiting, it's important to understand what we're waiting for. And not just what we're waiting for year after year, right? The traditions we've built of presents and cinnamon buns and cookies, which reminds me, Carol's Cookies and Cocoa. Don't forget, four o'clock. But we need to understand not just those traditions that we love and we're waiting for year after year. We need to understand what God's people were waiting for over years and centuries and millennia, really, since the beginning. So let's start there and see what it is we're waiting for. In the beginning, right? This isn't a long ago, far away kind of story. It's in the beginning. And, and I imagine you've heard those words before, right? So finish the sentence with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is how the book of Genesis the Bible itself, the story of God's revelation of himself to us begins. And the opening movement of Genesis goes on to tell us that God created everything that exists. And in the midst of the galaxies and the solar systems and the planets, in the midst of all that God had created, humans, the one the ones God created to bear his image, to join him in the work of ruling and caring for creation. Humans were placed in a garden in the center of all that God had made to enjoy it and to care for it, to fellowship with God in the midst of it as a microcosm of the whole creation whose source was God. And God said that it was all good, very good even. And then God rested, right, from his work of creation. But as I'm sure you're all aware, we're not living in the garden anymore. So what happened? What went wrong? How did we get from that to this? Well, that story is told in Genesis chapter three. Genesis three tells us that story, and so I'm gonna read some verses from there. Sorry, Tim, I should have put those in the, in the slides for you. He was complaining last week that I had too many slides in there. Gotta love when your son gets involved in, in the tech stuff. So Genesis three, beginning in verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Which, by the way, isn't quite what God said, is it? 
God told them they were free to eat from any tree in the garden except the tree in the middle of the garden. But if they did eat from it, they would certainly die. But as we so often do, somewhere along the way from God's lips to the serpent's ears, if serpents have ears, um, we added on to what God said. We added on that bit about not even touching it in an attempt to make rules to keep us from breaking the rules. Anyway, the serpent knew that wasn't quite right, and the serpent began to question what God had actually said. Verse four, he said, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She gave some also to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife proceeded to try to hide from God. Anyone ever try to hide from God? I've been there. I've been there. I know. But then the story comes out, right? It's God's walking in the cool of the day there in the garden. And the serpent and the ground are cursed. And the man and the woman are expelled from the garden. And that's how we went from paradise to the wilderness, from perfection being completely what God had intended for us when he created us to pain. You see, in the choice to distrust God's word to us and to do what seemed good in our own eyes, the relationship that God desired to have with us was broken. And the image of God in us, while not completely erased, it was marred like an artist's masterpiece defaced by a toddler with a Sharpie. And the orientation of our hearts turned in on ourselves, making ourselves the center of our existence, and we were separated from God, the source of all life and being. And the word we use when someone is cut off from life is death. Apart from God, we were dead. As Paul would go on to say later, we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. But this is also what Paul's drawing on when he's saying in the passage that Jeremy read for us from 1 Corinthians 15, that in ways that are difficult for us to fully understand, in Adam's choice, sin entered the human experience. It wasn't part of what God intended for us, but it's now the reality in which we exist. And there's nothing in and of ourselves that we can do about it. We can't work our way back to God and we can't fix what's broken within us. We can't heal ourselves from the sickness with which we are infected. 
We can't raise ourselves from death back to life, no matter how hard we try. But God, but God in his infinite grace, even as he's cursing the ground and he's cursing the serpent and he's describing what the effects of their choice are gonna be for Adam and Eve, God promises that this is not the end of the story. God said to the serpent later on in chapter three, verse 17, he said, cursed is the ground because of you. Through pain, nope, that's Adam. Verse 14, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You see, God was promising that even though things were broken and needed to be mended, one day a savior a rescuer, a redeemer would be raised up from the woman's offspring, from her descendants, and that, that rescuer would crush the head of the serpent because God recognized the completeness of the effect that sin had in humanity. And God knew that we would never be able to save ourselves from it. So God put on our flesh our humanity. He became one of us. And Jesus came to be that perfect human that we could never be on our own. That's why we say when we recite the Nicene Creed that God for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary and became truly human. You see, friends, from almost the very beginning, it was clear that if we were to be reunited with God, to dwell with God in the way he always intended for us, we were going to need a savior. And that savior was Jesus. And that's what Paul means when he says, as in Adam, all died, so in Christ." All will be made alive. So while in the Advent season, we're once again waiting for a savior, that savior has already come. And like my family and I, we find ourselves between Christmas and Christmas. We find ourselves between Jesus' coming and his coming again that day when Christ will return to set all things right and to make all things new, to crush the serpent, the serpent once and for all eternity. This is what we celebrate today as we enter into the sacrament of Holy Communion. We remember the sacrifice that Christ made for our redemption and we receive into our bodies God's redeeming, sustaining, and perfecting grace for today. We proclaim in our actions Christ's death until he comes 